This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by the official Star Trek graphic novel collection. Get your first volume, Countdown, for only $4.95 when you sign up today at eaglemoss.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 229, Aquiel. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, sifting through it for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up. You know, sometimes it's like taking a vacation for work. Other times it's like taking a bullet for you. <laughs> this time, it's Aquiel. The one with the dog. The dog. Keep an eye on that dog. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first... But first, a word from Blue Apron, a better way to cook. They are tops at what they do, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Yeah, Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everybody, which of course starts with the ingredients. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. Blue Apron has partnered with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the U.S., each working in ways that are responsible and sustainable. All right, so you've got the ingredients. Now, what are you going to make? What? Tell me, Ken. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get to that, John, really. <laughs> well, with Blue Apron, you can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. They have lots of delivery options, so you can choose what fits your needs. And Blue Apron comes with no strings attached, so you only get deliveries when you want them. And now the moment that John has been waiting very impatiently for. <laughs> uh, here are some of the recipes that you could be enjoying. Uh, spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salata. Do you say ricotta or ricotta? I say ricotta. You say ricotta. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the thing with the thing. Uh, sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice. And parmesan-crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. Now, all that sounds good. But the best way for you to try the whole thing out is to try Blue Apron for yourself. And you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Start today at blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. It is nice of them, isn't it? I, I'm very happy with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's delicious food, honestly. <laughs> well, yeah. that too. Yes. yes. I'm pretty sure we mentioned that. If we didn't, I think it was implied. Yes. Hey, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we'd like that. We'd like it a lot, as a matter of fact. So I'm going to tell you how to do it. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. 
Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. We may also answer your questions. Now, normally we jump right into trivia here. All right, I'm ready to do uh, trivia. So. Yeah, well, not yet. Hold on, oh, pal. Okay. Hey, hold your okay. horses. Yeah, your uh. your your trivial, trivial horses. Ugh. Your teeny tiny little <laughs> up two squares and over one horses. Um, uh-huh. There are a couple of questions that people have been asking us lately. And the thing is, you and I do this show like once a week, right? At least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we think about, you know you know what we're going to say and when we're going to say it and all those things and we think okay well we said that we're done now but the thing to remember is you know sometimes people are jogging sometimes they're driving sometimes they're cooking hey maybe they're cooking a fantastic meal with blue apron could be they might be doing something else is the point and so they may miss uh the answer to a question that they have and that other people have had and that everybody's asking mm, kind of all the time uh, in the past week, we've gotten two questions in particular, and it seems to me that they actually hit a few times. So mm-hmm. the two questions that we got this week that I wanted to hit really quickly, uh, where is DS9? Now, I know you're thinking somewhere between DS8 and DS10, <laughs> 10, but right? yeah, yeah. why aren't we doing DS9 right now, John? Uh, because uh, you and Rod and I had several long discussions about this, and we thought, okay, w- we can do Mission Log one of two ways. We can either go through series by series, Mm -hmm. or we could stay in strict chronological order where you kind of overlap season six of Next Gen with season one of Deep Space Nine. And you've got to overlap that with the Next Gen movies. Then you overlap with Voyager and and so on and so on. And we thought... Forgive mm-hmm. me, because I should actually explain for people who are maybe, and we do have some of these people listening. Yes. People who are maybe going through watching Star Trek for the first time. Right. The way DS9 premiered, it was on for about a year and a half at the same time as Next Gen. Not the yep. exact same time, because, you know, they didn't want to compete. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, I mean, both series were running at the same time. And so a lot of people thought... We would now be in a place where we're doing one week TNG, one week DS9, one week TNG, one week DS9. Yeah. And there are a lot of reasons we decided not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> First and foremost, for our own sanity, mm-hmm. um, because that would be a very hard thing. Then you would end up writing all of Deep Space Nine. I would end up writing all of TNG or other way around. Um, Unless and- we got out like a spreadsheet and said, okay, so this week you're doing this and this and then yeah right production nightmare production it it would be a production nightmare and we also like to think okay how are our listeners watching the shows well they might have it on dvd or blu-ray or they might be watching it on netflix and then you kind of have to go back and wait wait did i watch next gen last week oh wait are they doing deep space nine next week oh i gotta take the disc out or i gotta change over to what i was watching on netflix so that's another reason but the other reason is this I kind of think it works best to look at the story of a crew and and follow them from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. So the idea is we're watching all of Next Gen, then the Next Gen movies, because that completes their story. Then we'll jump over to Deep Space Nine and the Deep Space Nine movies. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um And the idea is to be able to focus, to be able to look at those stories and only those stories. Now, I I know what you're saying. I know that you're saying, oh, but but there are overlapping stories. Yes, 
but that's okay. Believe me when I tell you that it will work out, <laughs> that we, it's all right <laughs> if we get to something in Deep Space Nine a year from now, and we're looking back reflectively on something that happened in Next Gen, because they weren't writing those shows at the time to maintain strict overlapping chronology. There are moments, there are story elements that kind of pay off from one to the other. Um, but believe me, it will not ruin the listening or viewing experience to uh, to separate them like that. So so that's what we're doing. And as for why we are um, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, uh, John mentioned earlier that he and I and our friend Rod actually talked this over. Uh, Rod is Rod Roddenberry, and he's the guy who put the show together. So mm-hmm. we're produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. So... That would be the simple answer to that question. Um, I thought about saying something snarky about how we're the most Roddenberryist, but we're not really. I mean, (laughs) because there are a lot of fantastic podcasts out there. Both John and I, I I, I will speak for John in this. Okay. Um, We're lucky enough to have somehow caught the attention of uh, Rod Roddenberry and Roddenberry Entertainment. And so Rod came to us and said, hey, do you want to do a show? And really, it's, it, I mean, it's not much more convoluted than that. We, yeah. we, we produce this show for a guy named Roddenberry, hence our being a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And, and by the way, they, there might be some misconception or misunderstanding about that. Um, Roddenberry does not own Star Trek. What? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right? Oh, so man. weird. No wonder I'm not getting swag. Yeah, yeah. So, um, or bit parts. Yeah, we, at least, at least. Um, so one of the first things that Rod told us was you're not under any obligation to talk about the shows in any particular way. You know, we, we, we don't need to come on and, and simply say, Oh, everything that happened in Star Trek was great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that has never been Why the rule. Why do you rule. bring that up this week, John? Why do you say it that way this week? It just happens yeah. that it lands on this week that we're yeah, answering okay. that question. Yeah. 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 So there we go. Those are the answers to the questions I don't think anybody really expected us to answer today. But, uh, well, you know, segment three might be short anyway, too. So, <laughs> so really, there are a few reasons to go ahead and do that. But I think we have kept the people uh, who are waiting for the trivia um, waiting long enough, John. How about you oh. hit us with a, with, a bit of a, with a bit of trivia for this week's show? I forgot it all. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll do it. Okay. Trivia for Aquiel. The story is by Jerry Taylor. And the script was written by Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore. Now, all three of those people at this point need no introduction. We know who they are. And uh, there are a few pieces of trivia that I will save for after the recap, uh, just because. Well, because it's a murder mystery. And I feel like there are things that are best shared after we know the whole story. Now, this episode was designed to be a riff on Otto Preminger's 1944 film Laura, in which the detective played by Dana Andrews falls in love with the woman played by Gene Tierney that he is investigating for murder. Now, Ron Moore named Rocha after one of his high school friends, and uh, the original title of this episode was Murder, My Pet, which we will also discuss in a little while. The episode was directed by Cliff Bull, and most recently we saw him direct the second episode of Season 6. That would have been Realm of Fear. Now let's talk a little bit about ratings. 
Uh, Next Generation had seen significant growth in season six compared to season five. Season five got a lot of press attention and people really showed up for season six. So we're really at the height of things here. And in fact, this episode came out in February 1993, just as we're hitting sweeps. Now, the average rating for Next Gen during this season was a 13.5 share. Translated, that's about 12 million homes. This episode got a 14.1 share, making it the highest rated episode of the season. Now, let's see. We have a... uh, Why do you laugh, Ken? Why do you laugh? I just thought of something else completely unrelated, but totally funny. Cool. We have a shout out in this episode to Gowron and his ascension. Nice little bit of internal reference there. And let's talk about guest stars. We have Maura, the dog, played by a terrier mix named Friday, who also appeared on General Hospital and Perfect Strangers. Wayne Grace as Governor Torak. Now, Wayne has been in major films like Dances with Wolves and Mulholland Drive, but he is well liked enough on Star Trek that he keeps coming back. He'll appear in Deep Space Nine and Enterprise, and his voice also makes it into a couple of Star Trek video games. Reg Cathy plays Commander Morag. Reg is from Alabama. What? what? He's another actor who has been in some really impressive films like Seven, The Mask, American Psycho, and he had recurring roles on House of Cards, Outcast, Law & Order, SVU. This is his only Star Trek appearance. And finally, Renee Jones as Aquiel Unari. Renee is from Florida, and she actually got her start as a model. She was signed by the Ford Agency while she was working as secretary. An acting role soon followed, a few guest spots, then recurring roles on soap operas like Knott's Landing and Days of Our Lives, as well as a recurring spot on L.A. Law. And she worked with Shatner, appearing on T.J. Hooker. This is her only Star Trek credit. Why would you call a dog on TV? Something other than the actual name of the dog. Is the show made better by calling Friday Mara instead of Friday? Prologue. The Enterprise is making a supply run to a communications relay station. But funny enough, nobody at the communications relay is responding to their calls. Actually, it's not funny. There's a shuttlecraft missing. And that stuff on one of the deck plates... That could be one of the Relay's missing officers. But there is a dog, so that's... something. Act 1. The stuff on the deck plate, the cellular residue, can't be identified here. Dr. Crusher says she needs to take it back to the Enterprise. The blood near the stuff on the deck plate, that belongs to Lieutenant Aquiel Onare. So, the stuff on the floor is probably her. Also, a shuttlecraft isn't the only thing missing. The relay station's other officer, Lieutenant Rocha, may be in that. Trying to access station logs, Geordi's found something odd. Someone without authorization was trying to access them before him. That threw up security blocks that'll take Geordi a while to break. He'll do that in Onari's private quarters. Because there's nothing creepy about that. He's also accessed her personal correspondence because there's nothing creepy about that. It's potentially useful, though. In her letters to her sister, Aquiel says Rocha was rude and obnoxious. Also, she's having weird dreams. Scary dreams. Dreams of danger. On the Enterprise, Dr. Crusher thinks the stuff on the deck plate was killed by a phaser. Riker wonders whether that could have been a Klingon disruptor. 
they are near Klingon space. Picard wants to go gently in that direction. No point in starting a diplomatic incident. Back on the relay station, Geordi has finally gotten a visual on Aquil Anari. So, now he's in her quarters, reading her private mail, and watching video of her. Nothing creepy about that. Act 2. Geordi is falling in love with Aquiel. Show of hands, please, just the people who didn't see that coming. Oh, I see no hands. Hmm. In another letter to her sister, Aquiel says she thinks she knows why she's been having the dreams of danger. It's because of that Klingon. Morog, the Klingon, has been getting really aggressive. He even locked phasers on the station last time he was by. Gave her those old feelings of panic. The ones she used to get when she knew her father was going to punish her. The ones that made her want to run away. But she can't now. She's in space. There's nowhere to run. Jordy takes this news to Picard. Well, the Klingon part. Turns out he was buzzing the relay station every few days. Picard wonders whether it was Commander Morog who tried to access the station's logs. He'll have a word with the nearest Klingon governor. The Klingon governor, Torak, is not amused. He's all sorts of bluster until Picard says, Okay, he'll just call his friend Gowron, head of the Klingon Empire, to get him to look into it. Needless to say, Governor Torak will look into it. On the relay station, Geordi has moved on to Aquiel's personal logs. Yes, it's creepy, but he's doing his job. And enjoying a drink. Nothing wrong with enjoying your job. In her personal log, the lieutenant tells her sister that she's countermanded Lieutenant Rocha's orders because, you know, she was right and he's dumb or something. She knows he's going to be mad, though. Furious. Her thoughts turn to happier memories when there's a sound off-screen. The video of Aquiel goes to static. And maybe somebody switched it to Channel Z. In the relay station, Worf has found suspicious DNA. It's Klingon. Riker checks in with Geordi and seems almost amused by Geordi's... Eh, let's go ahead and call it crush on Aquiel. The strange thing is, he can't find Rocha's private logs. This mystery interrupted by the arrival of Governor Torak aboard the Enterprise, and hey, guess who he's brought with him? Lieutenant Aquiel Onari. Act 3. Onari's story is... Well, she's bloodied and has apparently been through a struggle. She says, on the day of the incident, Rocha was acting hostile. But he'd been hostile since he'd gotten there, so that seemed normal. Normal, that is, until he started slamming her around and tried to choke her. She broke free of his grip, went for a phaser, and that's all she remembers. Somehow she got to the shuttle and got away. Why didn't she contact Starfleet? She doesn't remember. Did she actually get the phaser? She doesn't remember. Did she let a Klingon onto the relay station? Absolutely not. So, says Worf, some Klingon, perhaps Commander Morog, did board the station after she left. This upsets Governor Torak. Whatever Morag was doing, he was just doing his job. But Torak will make Morag available for questioning. In the meantime, Geordi reunites Aquiel with her dog, Mora, and offers to give her time alone. But she's been on the relay station for a while. She'd like to go someplace fun. So he takes her to 10 Ford for drinks and a bit of conversation. Nice space weather we're having. I moved around a lot as a kid. I've been reading your journals. 
Yes, I know it sounds creepy, but we thought you were dead and we wanted to know how and why. Aquiel is upset. And over it in about 15 seconds. And now she's being kind of flirty. She's over that in about 15 seconds, too. Jordy starts asking questions that are sort of personal and sort of, Did you kill Lieutenant Rocha? Her logs show a propensity for upsetting Rocha. Look, she says, he was obnoxious from day one of the five days he was there. No, I didn't like him, but no, I didn't want to see him dead. As for why Rocha attacked Aquiel, she says she does not know. Riker's been doing his own investigating. Rocha's record is spotless. Decorated, good officer, nothing like Anari described. Anari, on the other hand, has a reputation for being argumentative and quick to take offense. She was actually transferred to the relay station by her former superior officer because she was such a pain. Now Riker's having trouble buying her story. Also, the phaser she went for? Well, there's one missing from the relay station. Picard tells Riker to check out the shuttle Anari was found in. Because Riker's apparently a very bad investigator. On there... Though, let's not call it a date, even though it looks like one. Aquiel asks Jordy if she seems like a murderer to him. He says no, and she gets more flirty before saying goodnight. Hey, look what Worf found in Aquiel's shuttle. The missing phaser from the relay station. And it's set to kill. Act 4. Aquiel's being questioned by Worf and Jordy, and it's not looking good for her. Stolen phaser, set to kill, the ongoing fights with Rocha. The stuff on the deck plate was him, by the way. Dr. Crusher says to get as messed up as that stuff was would require a phaser blast about a half a minute long. Doesn't sound like self-defense, but Aquiel says she still remembers nothing. Jordi has jumped to her defense now. There are still unanswered questions here. Riker says, hey, nobody's accusing anyone of anything. They're all just looking for answers. Outside Aquiel's quarters, though, Riker wonders whether Geordi is letting his feelings get in the way of the investigation. And Geordi blows him off. Geordi's back on the relay station now and finally able to access Roach's personal logs. The one has been deleted. The perpetrator, unknown. On the Enterprise, Commander Morag has finally made an appearance. No, he didn't kill Rocha. Yes, he did board the relay station after Rocha died and Anari took off. As for the missing files, yeah, that was Morag. So, he's in trouble. But not for the murder of Rocha. He took the messages because... Eh, apparently nobody cares. They'll hold Morag until the murder investigation is over, with Governor Torok's permission. On the relay station, time for a curveball. The missing files stolen by Morag aren't the same files as Rocha's missing log entry. Jordy says he has evidence that Aquiel logged in and deleted Rocha's entry last night from the Enterprise. Of course, he's not saying this to Picard or Riker. He's saying it to Aquiel, because his feelings are definitely not getting in the way of the investigation. She explains, though. She had a good reason for deleting the log entry. It was totally going to make her look guilty. Even though she's totally not. Honest. Jordy believes her. Because... <sighs> Back on the Enterprise... Well, this is weird. The stuff on the deck plate? It, um... It's alive. And it's not Rocha. Kind of looks like a bowl of jam. Then it looks like a giant tongue. 
Then, after licking Dr. Crusher's hand, it looks exactly like Dr. Crusher's hand. Act 5. Jordy and Aquiel are getting closer. She wants to show him something. A special ceremony her, it turns out, partially telepathic people use to make love. In sickbay, Crusher is explaining the bowl of jam. It's a coalescent organism. Basically, they're things that both absorb and become other organisms. She thinks Rocha never got to the relay station, but was absorbed and replaced by one of these coalescent organisms before he got there. So that's what Aquiel is. Except, wait, Morag was there too. He could be the coalescent organism. Worf goes after Morag, Riker heads to the relay station for Anari, and totally interrupts Jordi and Anari doing it. Fully clothed with a crystal. It's a very Star Trek sort of lovemaking. Anyway, Riker orders Anari away from Jordy. She could be the coalescent organism. Except no, it's her dog. When Jordy's alone with the dog, Mora, the dog switches to the coalescent organism and tries to take over Jordy, but he grabs a phaser and kills it. The end. Well, not the end. Having stood by her through the murder investigation... It's obvious that Aquiel and Jordy will have a long, fruitful, happy relationship. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's Jordy. She leaves. The end. Ha! Yes, that was... <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. 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 I really thought those two had a future. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you really, <laughs> really The second that she was alive and obviously in love with him, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, good. Finally, something's going to work out for... So close. Jordy. So close, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's really... Uh. I think I know the problem with the whole murder investigation is that they they went about it the wrong way. You're just like, oh, hey, Aquiel, how are you? Nice to meet you. Did you kill that guy? <laughs> and then, uh, hey, just uh, come with me into 10 forward here. Let's have a drink. And, uh, oh, what is that? Your drink? Did you kill that guy? <laughs> I love the part where Riker's like, I'm having trouble believing Aquiel's story. And Picard's like, well, did you look in the place she was hiding for 46 hours? <laughs> <laughs> and Riker's like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe I could. And still, literally, honestly, truly, when we take a shot of them in the shuttlecraft, uh, Worf, you know, because he's got that fine tactical mind. Right. Yes. He goes and looks in the glove compartment mm-hmm. for the phaser. That's what you do. Riker is looking between the cushions of the couch. Yeah. <laughs> well, he he needs change to put in <laughs> no, his pocket. No, he's looking for the phaser, yeah. but apparently he thinks right. she has like a dainty little like, you know, lady chic phaser or something. She might. She might. She it might be a type one phaser. Yeah, I, you well, know, uh, could be. Whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there's right. a glove compartment. I was actually amazed to find there's a glove compartment in the shuttlecraft. Well, where else are you going to keep your gloves? I know, right? When you're you're, yeah. you're driving gloves for flying yeah. for flying in space. Uh-huh. Also thought it was weird that she thought. I know. I'm sorry. You're trying to get to something here, but uh, also thought it was weird <laughs> that she's like, "Oh, wow." It reminded me of like when Dad used to punish me, and I wanted to run away, but now I'm out in space, and there's nowhere to run. You're yeah. in space, right? There is in fact everywhere to run. There is every <laughs> you can. Yeah, yeah. You can go literally anywhere. You go that way. You can uh-huh. go that. Maybe don't go that way because that's Klingon space. Yep. Oh, you know what? Go that way because mm-hmm. what's the worst that's going to happen? All right, let's talk about that other trivia. Okay. So the trivia that I held on to, courtesy of our friend Doctor Trek, Larry Nemechek, early on in the story drafts, Aquiel would have been the killer. 
She should have been the killer. She should have been. She should have been. Uh, that idea was abandoned, partly because this came out shortly after Basic Instinct, and it might have invited too many comparisons. <laughs> then at another point, <laughs> at another point. Do you know I have actually never seen Basic Instinct? You haven't? Oh. Yeah. Good, yeah it's, it's good movie. Maybe next yeah. time say spoiler alert. I'm just saying. Because I, oh, I seriously, on. honestly, oh, I had on. no idea. I seriously did You've not know. You've had 25 years. I know. You've had 25 I know. Hey, years. remember that time I ruined uh, Dune for one of our listeners as they were reading it? Yeah. Oh, oh, and I ruined the end of St. Elsewhere for you. Yeah. Oh, you. Yeah. Apparently, I don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> so, um, at another point, uh, Rocha would have been the killer. And finally, Ron Moore just said, well, why don't we make the dog the killer? Hence the story draft title, Murder My Pet. Not not Murder My Pet, but, you know, Murder, <laughs> comma, right. My Pet. Right. Yeah. And yes, and it was discussed that uh, Jordy would keep Mara, uh, the dog, and the, uh, of course, if the dog had not been the killer. <laughs> the dog wasn't the and, killer, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then that would be his pet until the end of Next Gen, and I kept thinking maybe Mara and Spot would just fight it out if oh. they had gone that route. There's a lot of um, comedy there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, as you might imagine, there are a good number of people on the production staff who weren't too crazy about this episode. Jerry Taylor felt that there was a lack of chemistry between Jordy and Aquiel. And, well, that's too bad because it was considered at one time as a way to write a recurring love interest for Jordy. Mm. So your idea there, Ken, was not unheard by the production staff at the time. And... um yeah, I guess I can just wrap it up by saying that Ronald D. Moore once said that if he had it all to do over again, he would not have written Aquiel. Who can blame him? Ugh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not, not, not to skip to the end, but... No, no, no. But, but that, that's the trivia that we wanted to save for this part because, you know, we, we, we wanted to get through the story. We wanted to hear what it was all about. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You do, you do want to, like, for anybody who didn't bother to watch the episode... Mm-hmm. Right. Lucky right. sons of whatever... <laughs> then, you know, we don't want to ruin the end before we get to it. I mean, we don't no, want to pull no. a basic instinct on them, do we, John? No. We don't want to pull no. a Dune or a Saint Elsewhere. No. Yeah. We're the ruiner of very old IP. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was it Man of the People where Troy and the bad guy were alien um, doing it? Mm-hmm. And that's how she was taken over. And there was like a crystal or there was like something they were holding, right? Yeah, yeah, it was the, the little thing, and then she becomes gray and angry. Yeah. Right, so was this TNG referencing TNG? Because we're obviously meant to think in Act 4 when Jordy and Aquiel are space doing it, mm-hmm. or alien doing it, or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. I'm sorry, alien making love. Yes. When they're, when, when they're doing that, we're obviously meant to think that, ah, this is the thing where she's going to kill Jordy. Right. And it's like, oh, yep. oh, oh yep. switcheroo. Oh, red herring. Yep. You know, whatever. And it, yeah. It's my favorite kind of herring. <laughs> I like smoked red herring. Is that you know, like Star Trek referencing Star Trek or is it just so incredibly lazy? Like, were we meant to think that again based on Man of the People or is it just like, oh, yeah, well, this is oh, do, have we done this before? I can't remember. Yeah, No, I, I, I think so. I think that it's actually a good uh, good way of looking at it. Speaking of Star Trek referencing Star Trek, uh, they're on Relay Station 47. Practically got a flashing sign on it. Yep, yep. Uh, first of all, how about that plum assignment, though? I mean, you spend who knows how long in a communication relay station with one other person uh, who you hate. That's, that is just... Well, who you might hate. You might. Yeah, there might also might. be a love connection going on there other times. You never know. 
Could be. You never know. You never, but two people, one station. And, and if you're in there, if that's your job, you can just hear everybody's messages. Just any, at any time, you can just <sighs> flip a switch and you can hear what anybody is saying right. from one part of the galaxy to the other. What are they? Google? Is that listen, what they are? Listen, just mm-hmm. because messages yeah. pass through a relay station doesn't mean people on the station can hear everyone's messages. Let us please not have another flood of how security works emails this week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Would that be all right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, hey, look, look, there are many things in this episode you might be able to criticize Jordy about, uh, <laughs> one of which I will get to now, which is that he seems a bit uncomfortable using the word pooch. It's just awkward dialogue for him. I don't know why. Boy, he's got no problem being mean to a dog, though, does he? I al- I almost oh, mentioned this man. man at the end when it's like, oh, I love you and I love your dog and I love your dog and I love you. And then the second she's like gone yeah. and the dog's like, hey, yep. pay attention to me. He, he, he comes close to kicking that dog. Mm-hmm. And I know he was mm-hmm. actually just trying to get his pant leg away from the dog. Also, why is he upset that the dog chewed up his shoes? They have, I mean, first of all, it's a uniform. It's not like he bought those shoes. And second, right. well, they have a replicator store. They have a replicator yeah. store. They have a catalog store that they can go to and they can just get more shoes. Those shoes will be turned into perfectly fine shoes about 10 seconds after he tosses them in the bin. Yeah, or, or a steak or something. <laughs> they, they could become anything. Puppies. Really. Yes, yeah, that right. dog they by itself may be making puppies. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. I had a question about Anari. Anari? Yep. Onari? Unari? That, that's not the question, actually. Uh, nope. The dimples on her forehead, were they dimples yep. or nostrils or nostrils? What were mm-hmm. they? They were deep. Mm-hmm. They were very deep. And I they couldn't, were. I didn't, I couldn't, I wondered, I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. They they were there. They were there. And, and by the way, while you're at it, do not confuse unare with inare or unagi <laughs> or any other delicious Japanese food. Which one is unagi? Uh, unagi would be eel. Okay. No, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Unagi yeah. is eel because I've had that. Yeah. I don't believe I've ever yeah. had inari. I, inari is a little uh, fried uh, tofu that's wrapped around rice and it's Ooh, really delicious. Well, that yeah. sounds really good too. Yeah. yeah really good. Yeah, I'm hungry. Hey, uh, Governor Torak has a very well-developed sense of drama. I love that he comes in for a meeting with Picard, but then he leaves Aquiel out in the hall, but close enough to be in earshot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was probably like, are we near the end of the act? Okay, okay, then I've got an idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you would think, I mean, I realize we don't have Chief O'Brien anymore, but you would think that whoever's in the transporter room, like, okay, we're about to beam up. Okay, we got a Klingon. We got another Klingon. Oh, and who's this? Totally not a Klingon. Hey, please let them know in the conference room we're sending up three people. Uh, now, one may enter before the other two. But we're sending up three people, one of whom is definitely not a Klingon, and she's got a Starfleet uniform. Yeah. You would think that would be something that they would call, like, from the uh, transporter room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain, two Klingons just brought a Starfleet officer in. <laughs> that actually might be the kind of thing that, you know, you don't wait for the big reveal. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, unless apparently yeah. whoever replaced uh, O'Brien. What happened to O'Brien, by the way? Yeah. Apparently, whoever whoever replaced O'Brien also has a flair for the dramatic, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a question about Governor Torak. Yeah. And this actually isn't about Torak specifically. It's about sort of Klingons, you know, in general, past a certain point. Uh, do you suppose obesity in older Klingons is just a way to sort of up the chances of dying in battle? 
Hmm. Like, you know, you get to 35 and you just start eating like butter for breakfast. I don't mean mm-hmm. like on things. I just mean to start eating butter for breakfast. <laughs> and I hope so you'll just drop dead at the first sign of battle because, because, huh. you know, for a lean warrior race, you hit a certain age and, yeah. and your stomach's getting into the room about a minute and a half before you do. Wow. That's really true. And I'm wondering if that's so that, you know, at the first sign of trouble, you know, heart attack. And but the, what they say is, oh yes, he died in glorious battle, or he died glo- yeah. gloriously in battle. Yeah, yeah, um, you do it with honor. You eat six of butter for breakfast. You do it with honor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, important technical note: Aquiel's phaser that they discovered was set to level ten. Uh, yet, Worf used level sixteen to melt rock in Chain of Command. So really, I just for a point of safety, anything over a nine is bad news. Hey, before we get to the rich, meaty middle of the show, um, let's get to a word from our friends at Eagle Moss, bringing you the official Star Trek graphic novels collection. So for the first time ever, the best of 50 years of Star Trek comics have been brought together in this extraordinary new collection that spans decades and features everything from the very first Star Trek comic to the latest adventures. What's really cool about these two is they sort of... I don't want to say reintroduce characters, but they take characters that you know on new adventures, mm-hmm. uh, pairing some that never really actually should have met ever. Like we were talking <laughs> about Hive recently, where you have a Data who has sort of like found his way past everything that happened to Data in Next Gen and the Next Gen movies. Uh, you got Locutus, you got the Borg Queen, and you got Seven and Nine. Yeah. Now, granted, she is a Borg, so you would think that maybe at some point she had been in Her Majesty's presence. Mm-hmm. But there they all are in this one adventure. Uh, plus, you got stuff like, um, oh, Harlan Ellison's original story for um, yeah. uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. Uh, just like a bunch of really neat stuff that, I mean, maybe you've heard about it. Like, you've heard that Harlan Ellison was really upset about the city on the edge of forever. Well, now you can read it and see if he should have been. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and a whole bunch of other stories that, that you did not even know were out there are out there and waiting to be collected by you. And, and here's what I love, that you get these in these beautiful hardbound editions. So they look lovely on your shelf and you're building a collection this is the ultimate way to build a collection of star trek graphic novels and comics instead of you know like going from shop to shop or convention to convention and hoping you happen to find the issue that you missed no 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 no. you don't need to do that you have everything here and the stories are fantastic like you were mentioning harlan ellison what we haven't mentioned before is that you will also see stories by some of the featured actors from various episodes, uh, including Mark Leonard, Aaron Eisenberg, Will Wheaton. And in addition to them, you will see Star Trek novelists like Peter David, Michael Jan Friedman, Alan Dean Foster, uh, Diane Duane. It, it just goes on and on. All the publishers are here as well. So, I mean, yeah, they're the, sort of like the, the interesting kind of one-offs. But then there are the... Eh, monthly, I suppose. Although in some cases, I guess even even more than that, like the uh, the British strips from the early 1970s are here. Um, uh, Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Paramount Comics, Wildstorm, Tokyo Pop, and uh, and the people who are currently producing even more Star Trek stories right now, IDW. Yeah, what I really like is that a lot of these stories kind of fill in the gaps. So say you get a movie adaptation. But then you get stories showing what happened after the movie and then leading up to the next story. So I love it when they kind of expand that universe by filling in those stories. Now, you can start your collection today with Volume 1 Countdown for only $4.95 with free shipping. 
In this gripping prelude to J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek movie, you'll uncover the circumstances that drove Nero and Spock to travel back to the 23rd century and, in doing so, usher in the Kelvin universe. Bonus content includes the first Gold Key Star Trek comic book from 1967. You know, it's really weird. You were just saying that you like the stories that sort of like bridge the gap. Like, here's what happened after. Mm-hmm. Countdown happens before. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I love that. It's almost like you knew what was coming up. Almost. Uh, subsequent editions ship twice monthly and are delivered right to your door. And of course, you can uh, cancel your subscription at any time. For details on the entire collection, including a host of exclusive free gifts, and to order, visit eaglemoss.com slash mission log. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash mission log. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Here is what I am saying. If you are remaking Benji or Lassie, you call the dog Benji or Lassie. If you are going to say the name of the dog twice, why not just say the name of the dog? Hey, Ken, how are we doing on time here? Because um, I'm a little... I, I'm a little... We, we've, we've arrived at the point of the show where we do the big, important, serious discussion. Yeah. And we really pick apart the episode for morals, meanings, and messages before mm-hmm. we wrap it all up at the end. But mm-hmm. here we, we've arrived at that point. This is the big, big, important point here in our show. Yeah. Um, do we have enough time to talk about Jordy in this episode? Because really, I think that from a character point of view, he's maybe the most important here for us to consider. Um, you know, I, I would say this, like, I'll cut him some slack up front. Mm-hmm. He's doing what he should do mm-hmm. at first, which is he's gathering information as best he can. Mm-hmm. Um, even if that involves listening to someone's log files, then then he should do that. And then and then Rikers shows up and he's got the smirk and he's kind of got the twinkle in his eyes like, oh, you, you're going through her log files, are you? Mm-hmm. And, and Jordy's like, yeah, because I'm doing my job. And Rikers <laughs> is like, yeah, okay. I see you doing your job. You, no, no, you no, 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 no. Jordy no? actually, Jordy actually said he called her by her first name. He does. He does. Yeah. He calls her so it's not though. like not, Riker not does not Harry. start off being Riker. No, yeah. Riker is willing to immediately switch to being Riker. Sure. That's fine. But sure. I mean, before that, he's, you know, Commander Riker. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, hey, your pal Will. Oh, yeah. Kind of kind of hot. Yeah. We should bear in mind she's also kind of dead. She's kind of stuff mm-hmm. on the deck plate when they're talking about this. So I don't even know, yeah. like, what that's about. Like, yes, oh, so you're kind of, kind of into her, huh? Well, yeah, yeah except yeah. for the part where <sighs> she's like a fried egg up on floor two. <laughs> Just, uh. All right, so go ahead. You were saying, I'm sorry. No, I mean, yeah, but then they, they take Jordy kind of down creepy lane mm-hmm. for a little bit and and it's unfortunate that it's Jordy because all we have seen of Jordy so far in interpersonal uh, uh relationships with women is yeah. just failure after failure yeah. and uh creepiness after creepiness so it, it's he's gonna appear to tear on creepy lane yeah he does <laughs> it does yeah i know it's it's kind of yeah mm-hmm. see here's the thing i mean she's dead as far as we know, she's dead. Mm-hmm. There's still something. It strikes me as a bit inappropriate. Look, 
look, she's either been killed or she's murdered a guy, is what mm-hmm. we think, right? Yeah. So please, for the love of God, go into her quarters and start handling everything. Yeah, right. Please go in and drink her liquor while you're listening to her private correspondence. Yep. I mean, because that's, I don't know for certain that it was liquor, but he's still drinking something from a decanter. He did not go to a replicator. Earlier, by the way, iced coffee. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited about the 24th century now because there's iced coffee. It's not just tea, Earl Grey, hot. It's not just water, seven degrees Celsius. It's, you know, it's it's like, it's, I was, I was very happy to hear about the iced coffee. Although I I think he's wrong to drink it black, but you know, hey, at least there's iced coffee. I can, I can order up some cream, I guess. Because I'd rather talk about that than this episode. Although how simple it is to order iced coffee in the 24th century compared to now going into a Starbucks and you say iced coffee and you got like 50 things to choose from. In the future, you just say iced coffee and the replicator knows. Yeah, which is actually kind of weird because remember when uh, Barkley wanted water? Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah. water. What kind of water? Water. What temperature? Water. (laughs) I guess though they figure iced coffee. Okay, well, he wants ice and he wants coffee. I wonder what kind of beans. Nope. (laughs) Iced coffee. That's it. Of course, it was a simpler time. The early 90s. Yes. Seriously, you went in to get iced coffee. It was that easy. That was. As well. It was. <sighs> what were we talking about? I, I had one other question for you because there was something that I thought about that we talked about in the original series. Hmm. You had a, you know, a handful of courtroom episodes. You, you had court martial. You mm-hmm. had uh, the menagerie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wondered if, does Jordy do a little bit of what we talked about? with Kirk in the original series. Mm-hmm. So Kirk would say, well, well, this is Spock and Spock can't be guilty because he's Spock. And, and Jordy does a little, well, well, Aquiel can't be guilty because I like her and she can't be guilty if I like her. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying, you're saying Jordy is Kirk like in this episode. Oh no, man. Oh, no, I was going to say, cause no. you were trying really hard to like this episode. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find, character things about Jordy. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, unfortunately, those things kind of come up empty. All right. If we want to try to defend Jordy here, mm-hmm. he shouldn't, this, this should not have been his job. Yeah. This actually should have been Data's job because the only person who is going to be able to watch it dispassionately is Data. The only being yeah. who's going to be able to watch it dispassionately is Data. Because we know that sometimes there's still racism in the 24th century. So let's not have a white guy do it. Or, you know, an alien race or anything like that, because it turns out she's a woman, first of all, so there might be some misogyny. And second, she's not white. So, I mean, you, mm-hmm. so, I mean so, so there's a reason to have Data do it. Let's really not have Jordy do it, though, because she's a girl. And he's, yeah. got, he's, got, he's got real problems <laughs> dealing yeah, with no, women. It, it, it's not that he yeah. doesn't like them. It's that he really likes them. He wants to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm saying innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But I mean, dude, she tampered with evidence <laughs> and he went to her to say, you tampered with evidence, not mm-hmm. went to the captain and said she tampered with evidence. It's this episode. Should we tell people what we thought about doing for this segment? No, maybe. Should we? No. Sure. Uh, yes. We thought about not doing a segment three. <laughs> yeah. And uh, depending on how I feel when editing, we still might. Wait, what? Is it my turn again already? Did something happen to segment three? I really should consider paying attention. 
be clear, we really did think about skipping segment three. Now, one of the reasons that we decided not to skip segment three is we try to come at every episode with a certain amount of love. We don't forgive the episodes that are bad, but we like Star Trek. Yes. We like Star Trek. I would say that you and I probably expect a certain amount from every episode of Star Trek. Sure. And so the reason that I didn't want to do segment three, and I'll totally fess up, it was me. I was trying to write comedy funny ways to not do segment mm-hmm. three mm-hmm. Um, is because, because I mean, as, as big as segment three is, the, uh, the payoff theoretically is segment four, where we discuss the messages, morals, and meanings and trying to figure out whether the episode holds up. Right. Uh, and I knew we were going to have to answer that question. And I figured probably we would have more to say about whether or why this episode worked or didn't uh, than we would have to say about the episode itself. So we're now to that part of the show where we discuss the messages, morals, and meanings and whether the episode stands the test of time. And uh, I'm going to give you that question first, sir. Uh, Aquiel, does this episode hold up? I don't remember this episode at all. Me neither. Um, It's so weird that... I, I know that there was a time that I wasn't watching a lot of TV because when this was on, I was in school and I, I just didn't always catch it all the time. But since then, I've pretty much seen all of it. And this one, I did not remember at all. Like, there's a dog and it like it's an episode that kind of is like Lassie and there's Jordy again. And there's a giant space tongue, a space tongue. You would I, think if you're going to remember, man, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't remember it at all. Yeah. So uh, that was a bit of a shock to me. And uh, let me say this. So uh, you brought us into this segment talking about how we come to an episode of Mission Log, how we discuss an episode of Star Trek. And, and we're we're always rooting for it because we always want to figure it out. And, and we want to have that conversation each week with, with each other and with our audience. Now, I will very often defend Star Trek as a format which handles a lot of different story types pretty well. So you could do personal drama, you could do horror, fantasy, you could do really thoughtful science fiction, speculative fiction work. And uh, what if we try to do a murder mystery? Well, sometimes that works out really well. Remember a little film called Star Trek VI? It was a Sherlock Holmes story with a murder at the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And and you just played it out with Star Trek characters. Um, this episode also had a little bit of The Thing in here, which is cool. I like that movie, both versions. Um, but at the end of the day, what I had to ask myself is, is there something that is really Star Trek at the core? Or is it just taking some other story and making Star Trek characters act it out? So you could you could take Star Trek six, you could take a, a Sherlock Holmes murder mystery story, but you could still actually do something with the Star Trek characters in that. So it stands up as a Star Trek story, right? Mm-hmm. Even in Next Gen, I, I kind of liked it when we did that with the Manchurian Candidate way back in the mind's eye. Basically, you did Manchurian Candidate, but you did it with Star Trek characters, but you got to do something cool with those characters. This time, I got bored, and I found it really difficult to be invested in the story, because I I thought that even if the murder mystery is quite secondary to the whole thing, 
Yeah. Hopefully there would be something very Star Trek at the core or something very character driven at the core. And they just fumbled the ball with that. Um, like I said in the last segment, Jordy is really the key to this whole thing. But we don't get anything more out of Jordy in this. So um, it, it's just sort of a, a misconceived experiment from the very beginning. Um, do do you feel the same way, Ken? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if there had been if there had been elements of creepy all the way through, that would have been okay. Um, or if they had stuck with the film noir thing, mm-hmm. um, that would have actually been great with Aquila sort of a femme fatale, right? Yeah. Then you know it's like it went from being the last seduction to you know the blob, really, because yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was one, right? Yeah. It would have been interesting to see like the man trap. It would have been interesting to see. They could have actually redone the man trap, dude. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see, like, Jordy falls so in love with Aquiel that when it becomes obvious that she's actually not Aquiel, she is this, you know, whatever, but she's still, like, like playing to his to his emotional pull. Yep. And then we would have, like, a lot of really interesting psychological questions to ask about Jordy as well. Like, yeah. she's, like, a monster, dude. She's literally a monster, but you're heartbroken, and she was about to kill, I don't know, Riker, the captain, Worf, whoever. <laughs> Maybe him. I mean, that actually, there are ways that this could have been fantastic, or they could have just stuck film noir all the way through. They yeah. could have made her the murderess, and then we would just have, like, a really interesting <sighs> play going on here. Right. The woman who played Aquiel is honestly not a bad actress. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible character. It's it's a terrible script. It's it's poorly done, um, you know. And so in the end, what you get is forty eight minutes that I'm never going to get back, uh, multiplied by however many times I had to watch it for this episode, <laughs> plus the time that we're taking to record it, and I still have to go back and edit this. Uh, there's yeah. no Star Trek message. There's no truly creative writing. There's one mildly amusing moment when Picard plays the Gowron card. Although he is seriously, like, in danger of really overplaying the Gowron card at this point. Like, every Klingon commander should just be taking dictation (laughs) from now on. When when they establish contact with Picard, it's going to be like, what is it this time? You know, because that's who he is now. He's, I mean, like, they need to stop with the Gowron thing because there's no brinksmanship with the Klingons anymore. Now there's just, you know, I've seen Gowron naked. (laughs) There's just, you know, Gowron and me, we're like this. We're, We're tight. I mean, I, I, like, Gowron is going to have my back because I had his. Yeah. We might as well not even throw the Klingons up as a thing anymore, unless one's really going to take a shot at the Enterprise. It's just, I mean, it's just bad, man. It's just bad. And you I'm know, not, it's bad. So it, there's no right or wrong way to create a story, right? Okay. I, I mean, yeah. if, if you, some people get inspired, some people sit down and just will throw every word they can at the page until they edit it down into something that, that makes sense, right? Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like this is one of those times where the story, it, it was the premise in search of a story. So it's like, hey, we should do a film noir. We could do Laura and we'll, we'll have a femme fatale and we'll do something to Jordy. And, and to throw people off the trail, we'll throw in some Klingons. But it, it became a way to sort of reverse engineer. And I, I get that impression knowing that the writing staff and, and Ronald D. Moore in particular said, well, well, we went through Aquiel and we went through Rocha and we even considered the dog as the killer at some point, you know? So 
they were just sort of saying, well, well, here's a premise. Now we've got to sort of reverse our way into coming up with a story to fit that. Yeah. Instead of hopefully what you do, which is, hey, I have an amazing story that that is driven by character and driven by plot. Mm-hmm. Now all we have to do is just go back and kind of format it into the five acts that that work for the the show that we're making. Yeah, because they actually really had a good. I mean, they they had something going up through Act Three. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I thought Jordy was a dope, and I thought he had been creepy, but they still had something going through Act Three. And yeah. then when we and then when we were suddenly like, oh, you know what? Instead, let's make it some like you know B movie science fiction thing. Yeah. In Act Four, then all of a sudden it's like, well. Any investment that I might have had in it is now out the window because yeah. you haven't given me creepy all the way through unless you count Jordy, which I'm not at this point. Right. You haven't given me creepy all the way through like you would in a good monster movie and any of the psychological anything that we had, you've now completely removed because you've shown me, oh, actually, it's a boogeyman, but I'm going to make you sit through seven minutes of us figuring out now that it's a boogeyman. Yeah. And it's like, it just... <sighs> <laughs> so all right so so the episode doesn't hold up it, it doesn't hold up yeah. to production because it, no. it's it's slow and plodding and boring yep. and it doesn't hold up as star trek because it there's no there there even if they had stuck with the film noir thing then slow and plodding and boring would have been okay yeah because we would have been getting more and more invested in character it, it's only slow and plodding and boring because they decided to make it an adventure at the end it wasn't an adventure right. all the way through, right. but then when you're like, oh, but look, wacky, or oh, scary, it's yeah. like, well, no, just kind of annoying now, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm sorry. Didn't... So you were saying it doesn't No, I don't say they, they didn't bother to build tension and, yeah, really make it exciting. But, all right, so are there messages here? Uh, xenomorphs, John, they come in all shapes and sizes. Good to know. Very That's good That's what I got. Know. That, yeah. and um, I guess, trust your gut? Hmm. Because Jordy was convinced that Aquiel was innocent, and she was ish. So if you're Jordy, so if you're Jordy, trust your gut. I guess maybe because everybody else's gut was wrong. Oh, that's true. Because everybody else thought it was Aquiel. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Xenomorphs. They come in all shapes and sizes. That, okay. That's really it. Yeah. What about you? Always keep a phaser in your flower planter. Oh, interesting. Was that a flower planter, really? Yeah, it was very convenient for Jordy to just like, hey, there's a dog turning into the blob. Good thing I landed on this side of the room where I keep my phaser <laughs> underneath this potted plant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, space tongues, they're not nearly as much fun as they sound like they would be. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. If you'd like to support our show directly, go to Patreon.com slash Mission Log. We have some cool and very exclusive Mission Log swag for you there. Patreon.com slash Mission Log. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Face of the Enemy. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. 
that was Aguiel. What can I say? I am sorry. I mean, I am sorry that our time together has come to an end. Or something. End transmission. <laughs>